All right, welcome to the Money Puzzle. I am Brian Ramsey. That is Chris Vaughn right there in front. That's Eric Douglas here in the back. And Aaron's on the phone, or he'd be joining us too. Actually, I think we got him on the next one. Um, anyway, so uh, today's a fresh new look. I, we just started this a minute ago, and I totally forgot to talk about it. So we redid this. Completely forgot. We for- yeah. yeah, I totally forgot. But anyway, it's our new digs. Uh, we're pretty excited about it. I uh, hope that you guys like the color scheme. Uh, for those of you who are regular watchers, Anyway, uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's it. It's kind of if cool. you don't like the color screen, we're not going to redo this. It was too much work. Yeah, and uh, and if you don't like it, uh, Chris is the one who picked it out. Just, yeah. just saying. Blame me. Yeah, just saying. All right. So anyway, today, so today's topic is uh, a pretty prevalent one, right? This is something we've been talking about on and off for the last thirty plus years, but it's really come into view in the last nine months. Yeah. Would you not say that's probably fair? Questioning. There's definitely been a bigger significance placed on whether or not a 60-40 type of moderate portfolio, which has basically been the bedrock of our industry, right? Um, Whether or not that's going to continue to be the bedrock or the foundation of how we build portfolios. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't why don't uh, spend either one of you? Why don't you guys spend a second and explain when you say 64? It's a lot of jargon in our business. Okay. Sometimes. You see it, and people are like, I don't really know what that is. So maybe so, spend a second talking about it. it. It's very simple. When you talk about a portfolio and you see those two numbers or you hear those two numbers, the first one is could be individual securities, could be ETFs, mutual funds, anything, but it's based on equity. So eventually, as you drill down, you're dealing with stocks. Uh, the second number would be based on the income side. So same thing. Eventually, you're drilling down to what is essentially bonds. So historically, the, the way it's done is the higher the first number and the lower the second number, and they, they have to add up to 100, obviously, uh, the the higher that number is, the more uh, aggressive the portfolio is going to be. Uh, the lower the first, the first number, the more conservative it is. So that 60-40 is, that's what so many people have used. Like you said, bedrock's a good word. That's the one that everything is kind of geared towards. And then you expand out from there. Okay, so give us an example, like uh, an aggressive portfolio would be so an aggressive portfolio, historically, you're looking at uh, typically about a 90-10. Uh, there are some 100 zeros out there. Um, you don't drop too much below the 90 and still call it a really aggressive portfolio. But some people will take them down to, say, 80-20 or 85-15. Typically, I would say about an, 80, an 80% allocation to stocks or stock funds is going to be pretty aggressive, is, is typically the way yes. I always define it. Yeah. That 60-40 is kind of defined as you know 60% stock stocks or stock funds, 40% bonds or fixed income assets. That's going to be your more moderate yeah. allocation. And the idea, obviously, is that you're taking a little bit more risk with the 60 percent with right. stock funds and then the 40 percent fixed income that's your diversifier that's your hedge so what's supposed to happen in years like this year is your hedge is supposed to zig when your stocks are zagging right unfortunately this year that everything happen. everything has <laughs> zagged right um and, and that has been the occurrence to a greater degree every time we've be, we've had market drops really over the last decade really since 08 um, you're seeing fixed income and more aggressive stock funds become a little bit more correlated. Maybe not to the same degree, but there is an, an increased correlation between the performance of the two asset classes. Yeah, we, we've talked in quite a few of our podcasts this year about how historically the the bonds were the, the safe haven when the markets were going down. And that's where that, in the 60-40, that's that 40%. So to Eric's point, this year, instead of one zigging and the other one zagging, they were all correlated. They all zigged, or they all zagged, whatever you want to call it. 
And don't you think that it was sort of like in the middle of the year this year or even earlier, like a late spring-ish where at one point everybody's like, oh, my gosh, the stock market's down, the stock market's down. And really when we dug into the performance, it was the fixed income is where yeah. – is where we were where we saw the greatest losses and that and that's unusual because most of the time when you have a market where there's a little bit of trouble in the equity markets there has a tendency for flight to security or right. flight to safety and what that simply means is that when you have a flight to safety is that money flow so new money or existing money has a tendency to flow to different fund types and that's trapped yep. And when the markets are great and the markets are really good, there's a flow to equity markets or the equity funds. When there's a flight to safety, when you have trouble markets, money flows to the fixed income market. But this this year really was one of those time periods where we struggled. Boy, yeah. it was it was struggling trying to find safety anywhere. Well, and and what we've heard, you know, all the news heads and people have talked about the 60-40 is dead. You've heard that one a million times this year. The problem with it is normally, yes, that flight to safety, you move to that to that income side so you don't take the hit, which, of course, we did take the hit this year. The, the concern is that income side does not grow back at anywhere close to the rate that the equity side does during a good, healthy market. So that's been the worry is – when the market does recover and start going back up into a healthy uh, bull market, the, the 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 money that you had on that income side is just not going to recover as quickly. Well, that's and that's always been the talking point throughout this year with with clients is when you lay out the fact that the problem this year has not been the stock market, and we've talked about yeah. this at length. But the problem this year has been bonds, has been the bond market, hands down. It's one thing if you're 25, 30 years old and you've got an aggressive portfolio and you're down 30 percent. Yeah, it sucks, but no one's going to cry a river for you. If you're a conservative investor, you're a year or two, or maybe you're a year or two into retirement, and you've got that safe, balanced portfolio like you're supposed to have, and according to history, historically speaking, always does well. Right. <laughs> There's no one, no one in our position is ever going to tell you, no, that's a bad idea, generally speaking, to, to go a little bit more conservative, not totally, but a little bit more conservative into <coughs> retirement. Those portfolios have been dragged down significantly by the performance of the bond portfolio, by the bond funds. Um, in, in some cases, because I think some people view bonds as like this static asset, that's not the case. You have just as much diversity within the bond portfolio or bond options as you do within stocks. You have mid-class, you know, I'm sorry, mid-cap, small-cap, large-cap stocks. You have international, you have emerging markets, you've got domestic, right? You mm -hmm. have all these different categories of stock funds. You, you have them all on the bond side as well within the fixed income portion. High yield, treasuries, municipals, right? You have all the <laughs> international, domestic, you, you know, short-term, long-term, mid-term, right? You have all the same diversity within the, the bond categories. Right. Um, and, and universally, they were all down in double digits, in, in, which is unheard of. Right. Uh, and so it's just been a really, really rough year. Well, I, and I would tell you that, you know, I've been in the business almost 20 years, and <clears throat> it's rare to see when you have the market or the economy heading to a recession, which is what we did. Mm -hmm. First and second quarter of this year, we head into recession, markets were kind of weak. Typically when you find that, you have the Federal Reserve that's more in a quantitative easing or right. more of a dovish approach where they're sort of lowering rates to say, hey, we're gonna kind of spur the economy along by lowering the borrowing rate or lowering rates so that the banks in theory would 
give you a lowering bar rate. Right. Um, but what we saw was it was the opposite. The opposite, right. So we had the economy slowing down or not really slowing down. I guess maybe potentially during a recession it was slowing down, but it was very sl- slight slowing. But anyway, we were slowing, and yet the Federal Reserve was being hawkish or being super aggressive or you know tightening the monetary policy. So right. however you want to phrase it, that that's unheard of. We hardly ever see that. It was kind of a perfect storm. Perfect storm. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. perfect storm, if you will. So uh, that being said, we have had conversation after conversation after conversation. It's almost every Monday morning we talk agnosium about portfolio construction. What are we doing? What do we think? And to be honest, you know, we obviously don't know any more than anybody else, right? We just get the same right. data anybody else would get access to. But we made a pretty good call back in April to limit our exposure to fixed income. We did. Yep. That was good. Um, and then in July, we made another transition in the portfolio to increase our cash position mm-hmm. and also almost eliminate our traditional fixed income, except for a couple of small holdings, but right. for various reasons we held on to it. But we eliminated that piece of the portfolio to, to you know a pretty good degree. Now, our conversations have been, again, agnosium. I mean, it's every week we're having these conversations, but it is... What is our view of 60-40 moving forward? Because this is one of those situations that, you know, moving forward, we hope we never run into another situation like we're in right now where, you know, the markets are kind of, the economy's kind of struggling, markets are kind of slow down, and yet the Federal Reserve is not being cooperative. And so uh, so we've had to sort of change our thought, our, process, our thought process on what does 60-40 look like moving forward? We've had these debates for years. Right. Eric, I know you brought this mm-hmm. up two yep. or three years ago. Um, we were kind of like, ah, you know, just keep, you know, same old, same old. It's always worked. It's always worked. But I think we're all starting to come on board now of, okay, maybe there's something to this that we sort of change our the, our approach to this the traditional CC40 and view it more like risk on risk off assets. Now, that's not a technical term that we decided to really use, but it's something where it's a whole placeholder. Maybe we use it moving forward. I don't know. But it's a placeholder to say, what do things look like if, if – well, I'll ask it this way. If we looked out five years from now, three years from now, what do you think a, a traditional 60-40 por- portfolio, what is it going to look like? What, what do we – you know, from a risk-off risk risk asset pool, what, 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 what is that going to look like? Well, I, you know, hard to tell what it's going to look like three, five years out to your point. But the things that we traditionally would use on that income side are changing. Uh, so one of the first ones that we're looking at, as long as the Fed is being hawkish, you're getting these you know, very high interest rates. That's bad if you're borrowing, but it's pretty good if you're the one doing the lending. So that's where you get into short-term government bonds, for example, which are arguably as low risk an investment as you can when it comes to investment risk because these are backed by the federal government. So historically, these were not really good investments because they just didn't pay anything. Right now, you've got short-term T-bills paying out in excess of 4%. Um, so that is a risk off uh, that is paying out at a, uh, a rate that historically is a whole lot better than what you can get at the bank. So that would be the first one. Yeah, what else, yeah. Eric? Yeah, and I think, well, just to, to piggyback on, on what you were talking about, using the terms risk on, risk off, ultimately that's what a 60-40 portfolio is. Yeah. The 60 is the risk on, the 40 is the risk off. Um, whatever the stock portion of your portfolio, that's mm-hmm. always risk on. And it's not necessarily just about risk off, it's about volatility control as well. 
So I think ultimately what we've been trying to focus on this year is adding a little bit more volatility control into our portfolio, specifically for what would constitute the risk off portion of a client's portfolio, mm -hmm. especially as it relates to creating an income plan as you're entering into retirement. So to, to further what, what you were talking about, yeah, we've been using a lot of short-term um, you know, T-bills and, and bonds, four, four and a half percent interest rate mm -hmm. <laughs> on a nine-month, you know, even on like nine-month nine yeah. CDs right now is unheard of in my lifetime. Um, and I was born in 81, so I guess it actually maybe the very beginning of my lifetime um, it, when you were able to get comparable rates on, on short-term instruments like that, but certainly not anywhere in my recent lifetime, professional working lifetime. Right. Um, but we've been looking, you know, if rates are increasing on short-term government debt, they're also increasing on things like insurance products um, and, oh no, the, the bad A word, annuities, right? Yep. Um, and, and nothing crazy or sexy about any of it, but when you look at a, a fixed annuity, those are the most vanilla of annuity products out there that you can look at. Once again, you can get, you know, four, five, six percent, two, three year, five year fixed annuities. Yeah. Nothing sexy, nothing crazy about it. But if you want that volatility control, mm -hmm. it removes the volatility. You're getting the, you know, you're getting the, um, the freedom of knowing, or I guess the luxury of knowing luxury, what, your, what, you go, yeah. what, what your return's going to look like, uh, you know, barring, you know, an insurance company collapse or something like that, which is highly, 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 highly unlikely. Um, so, it, you know, once again, it's all about adding stability or reducing the amount of volatility within your portfolio to whatever degree that might constitute that quote unquote 40% of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. It's more or less about ensuring as much as we possibly can, less volatility for really the next eight to 10 years within your portfolio as much as we possibly can. Anything beyond that's going to go back to the risk on assets. Right. Yeah, the one, <clears throat> the, one piece that, uh, the, the one piece I would add to that is that traditionally speaking, we've, we've used the, the, the part of the portfolio that's more geared for fixed income. We've used that as a tool to produce the income that we need mm -hmm. to distribute out to um, the owner. Okay. Or, right. Yeah. And so what we've now seen is that that fixed income piece, we can solve that issue by creating more assets that are more risk off, meaning are, mm -hmm. are a great reduction in risk, uh, as opposed to a traditional fixed income where we're like, oh, it just produces an income, we distribute the income. What, what I think we're moving to, and this is again, this is why it's a little bit of a, deba a debate with us, is can we create a pool of money that is already cash? So there is no risk whatsoever. And maybe instead of having six months worth of cash in a portfolio, or carrying 2% in cash or 3%, which is your traditional model, right? Right. 3% cash, 47% fixed income, 60%, no, 37% uh, fixed <laughs> income. Sorry. Math is, like doing uh, math yeah, on math the is hard. Yeah, yes. and then 60, uh, 60 equity. I, I think I think the what, what we may wind up with, and again, I'm looking out two or three years from now, is that we have a pool of money that is either cash or cash equivalents, and it could be five or 10% of the overall portfolio. Right. Whatever the cash need is for two to three years, mm -hmm. we want that to be cash or cash equivalents. It's not just the 2% anymore. It's that cash is there, no risk, no volatility whatsoever. So you don't have that bond fund going up and down. Mm -hmm. Now, historically speaking, they haven't gone up and down very much, but recently it's had huge swings. Yeah. 
and we're getting to the mindset of let's just have some cash there, cash equivalents, and we know it's not going to make very much, but we know it's cash, and that's the pool that generates this income, you know, and then we can have stuff that maybe we need cash three or four or five years from now, we can use an instrument like a treasury bill or something like that that says that money will come due when we need it. Right. Right. And so, again, this is sort of developing. We're continuing to have those conversations. But I think it really is interesting that we have we start to have these conversations with clients and the podcast watchers. Just to say the old historic 60-40, I think, uh, I think, Eric, you might be right several years ago when you brought it up. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's dead. But I'm saying all of us that manage money have to view that differently. And I think we're taking the right approach to say, let's look at this a little differently. We have risky assets and we have assets that we don't want to have a whole lot of risk, if any. Uh, and that's what we're, that's really what we're trying to develop. I think the, the summary of, of that would be the 60-40 is not dead, but it is changing. And, and the way that you traditionally would have done it is just not going to be as effective as what it once was, uh, to Eric's point from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk a lot about the sci- science versus art, Yeah, right? There's a science to what we do. And the science is going to dictate that, you know, de- obviously depending upon the situation. But if your situation calls, depending upon your risk tolerance and time horizon and all those other things, all those other factors, if a 60-40 portfolio is appropriate for you, then yes, we still want to use a 60-40 portfolio. What constitutes that 60-40 portfolio, what we're using for the 40, what we're using for the 60 mm-hmm. is constantly changing. We don't live in we, we don't live in 2019 anymore. You know, we don't live in 2008 anymore. We don't live in the 80s anymore, right? The times change and we have to make sure that we're changing and adjusting our strategies. Yeah. Uh, inherently within them we can't continue to do the same thing every single year regardless of you know you know what kind of noise is going on about us um you know it's not like we are doing anything terribly risky or you know we we were doing you know very effective things before but if there's a way for us to tweak what we're doing to the smallest degree um, when we're creating retirement income plans then yeah we're going to take advantage of what the market's given us and we're going to going to adjust as needed um, based upon obviously any individual's current situation. Yeah, so uh, let's just kind of wrap it up here. Um, so, any any kind of final thoughts on, you know, someone that maybe is viewing their sixty forty portfolio and they're working with somebody that's not started to have these conversations about well, what a sixty forty portfolio might look like. Yeah, and I'll I'll go first because I, I think we just want to. What I really want to ha- hammer home is the idea of volatility control. How can we reduce volatility within your portfolio over the next eight to 10 years? That's it. We, what, what can we do to reduce volatility? We're not taking out any risk. We're just changing the type of risk inherent in your portfolio. And we're trying to reduce that volatility as much as we possibly can. We're not saying go all in on one strategy or go all in on the other. Um, but given what the market's, um, you know, what they're producing right now and what we anticipate will be, um, you know, what, what they'll be giving us over the next couple of years, we're not seeing re- much in the way of volatility control when it comes to what the Fed's deciding to do every month, every quarter. Um, they, they're, they're not showing any signs of becoming more dovish with their, their policy. Um, hopefully they will, I'll, you know, but there's, there's a reason that they're doing it. Right. And we've, we, you can go back to our podcast a few months ago where we talked about the, res- the Fed's putting us into a recession, and, and that's not changing. They're still planning to do that. We're going to have a greater recession in 2023. And so that's why it's very important for us to make sure that we are 
um, eliminating volatility or reducing it as to the greatest degree that we possibly can when we're trying to create a stable income plan. The times they are changing, and that's that's not now. That's that never has changed. Uh, if you are not uh, making the changes, if you stick to the way things you've always done them, it's a matter of time until that catches up with you. And I think this is a great example of it. Um, I mean, even in our world, think about companies that were extremely powerful not that many years ago that are virtually non-existent or gone now. Uh, Xerox. We used to talk about having a Xerox room in your give, office. I'm going to give you a great stat in just a second. Okay. Go ahead, finish that thought. When's the last time you've heard of Xerox? Because they didn't adjust with times. That's no different when it comes to the way that you invest, the way that you uh, distribute your funds during retirement. The way that things have always worked doesn't necessarily work anymore. And you have got to change with those and make those adjustments or uh, you're going to get left behind. What's... Um so if you're, you know, if you were in the '80s managing money, you were mm -hmm. probably picking individual stocks, right? Absolutely. And there's still some old school advisors that do that. We we don't really do much of that in, in house. But um, I, I, you were talking about the giants of the industry, yep. and the giants of the industry over the last, let's say, five years have been the Fang stocks: mm -hmm. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, you know, Netflix, Google. Right? I saw a stat that blew me away this morning. Um, Texas Roadhouse, local company, mm -hmm. you know restaurants everywhere, right? But if you're in Louisville, then Texas Roadhouse is based out of Louisville. Uh, wonderful, wonderful organization. I was a server there in college. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, fantastic place to go get, get a good steak. Uh, cinnamon butter rolls are awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. Uh, but over the last 10 years, their stock is outperforming Google. Google has nosedived in the last year. Wow. If you look on a 10-year chart, Texas Roadhouse has outperformed one of the behemoths in the industry. Not because they're sexy, they're not flashy, they're just kind of slow, steady, consistency. Right? Consistent, yeah. consistent output over the last decade. If you were a stock picker <laughs> a decade ago, doing your job with all of the resources available at your disposal, no chance you would have ever chosen Texas Roadhouse nope. over Google. Times change, things change, yeah. but you can't look at every single, you know, to your point that the greatest of giants eventually will come down. Um, and, and so I found that stat super interesting. It really blew me away when I saw it today. Uh, that, that really yeah. blew me away when you said that. Yeah, I, I would have no never, yeah, never guessed. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for, uh, for another edition of The Money Puzzle. Make sure you tune in each and every week, which we uh, supply material. And uh, we talk about different financial topics and usually relevant. So we're trying to stay as relevant as we possibly can. Um, I think we're doing another one coming up here in a few minutes, and it's going to be uh, on a topic, I believe, we haven't talked about it yet, but I believe it's going to be uh, with a client meeting we had or a, a prospect meeting we had a couple days ago, which is incredibly interesting. Uh, it's, it has all kinds of different facets to it, uh, of, uh, mostly don'ts, uh, don't do's. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we'll get more into that uh, next week. But, uh, Eric, you want to sign us off for this week? Yep. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our content. Be the first to get notified whenever we drop anything new. Uh, and, of course, you can listen on whatever podcast uh, station uh, that you choose to listen to our content. We're available on, on all available platforms, Spotify, Apple, whatever. Uh, so thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Visit our website if you'd like to schedule a call.